Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Anyone excited for church? Come on. Uh, let me just quell. I'm still the pastor of this church. I know I've been gone for a while. Uh, the average pastor in America preaches about 35 times a year. I preach about 45 times a year, uh, partly because we're a church plant. you got to plow. you got to run hard. Uh, most ministry jobs, it's a marathon. In church planning, it's a sprint. And the reason why I got three weeks off was my board asked me, because I am a workaholic and my wife will attest to this, uh, I, I had not taken two weeks vacation in five years. The only time I ever had time off was the day my daughter was born and the day my father died. And outside of that, I would go on vacation on Monday and come back on Saturday. And so you guys giving me three weeks off, thank you so much for not leaving. Uh, before we begin, let me do some housekeeping, give you some opportunities for some of you who are, have been coming. And for those of you that call this place home, your ways to get more involved in this community. The first thing we do is every summer we have a block party, which is happening next s- Sunday, which is our big, bold summer. But on Saturday the 15th, we're gathering here as a church for those of you that want to be a part at 10 a.m. And we're going to walk around this neighborhood for about an hour. That's how long it took last time. And we're going to hang a thousand door hangers. We're trying to reach this community. God gave us this building for a reason. We've almost doubled since we've been in here. God has a purpose for us to reach the most unchurched region in the entire country, which is the Bay Area, if you don't know that. And for those of you that love this church and want to take your next step, Growth Track is on June 30th, July 30th, not July 16th. Sorry for the the, the date is incorrect. On that same day, we are doing baptisms and dedications. We already got people signed up. If you have received Christ, we would love to help you take your first step of faith. And today we are starting a very controversial but fun collection of talks. You should have got one of these on the way in. We, we, every year we study two books of the Bible together as a church. Uh, we, we love to, to study God's word in a fresh and relevant way. We are going through the book of Revelations. Anyone excited for the book of Revelations? Awesome. Uh, let me just preface those that are new I'm going to preach on a subject we normally don't talk about. Please don't think we talk about this every week. I actually haven't preached on this subject ever in five years. And the subject is, we're talking about the Antichrist, end times, and tribulations. All the things you want your pastor to preach on when you invite your friend to church for the first time. Right? We, all the things where you're nervous about. And even just me saying those three words, some of you are nervous. And the reason why I want to preach on the subject is because you need to understand that there are two spirits that are operating right now, the spirit of God and the spirit of Antichrist. And me even saying that word makes some of you uncomfortable. And I need you not to believe the headlines that the church's demise, the church is shrinking. Let me tell you, the church is growing faster today than in any other time in human history. There are more Christians getting saved right now than ever before in human history. Don't believe CNN. I don't care who that influencer is. The church is fine. You don't need to worry. But at the same time, let me tell you, there is another spirit. And he is deceiving people. He has deceived and he will continue to deceive. And I don't want anyone who calls this place their home to be deceived. So you guys ready for God's word? For those of you online, get your seatbelt ready. For you, we're locking the door so you can't leave. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, It's in page 24 of your journal. If you have it, I want to encourage you to bring this every week and to read this book. It's it's 24 chapters. You can read it twice in the next two months. Let me tell you why that's so significant. Because in chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy. That's one blessing if you just read it. The second, there's a double blessing, though. It's those who read and obey what is written. I, I want two for one special. I don't know about you. Buy one, get one free. That's the kind of shopper I am, and Jesus wants to give that to you. But for those of you that have it on the screen, if you didn't bring your journal, if you didn't get one on the way in, it's Genesis. Revelation chapter 6, it's page 24 of this, starting in verse 2. When you see on the screen, someone say amen. Amen. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. 
Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Each rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hands. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind them. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. I'm going to preach a sermon titled War Horses. War Horses. Get your seatbelt on. We're going there. All the things that some of you nerds love to read about, we're going to talk about it. It's going to be good. Some of you are going to be rebuked. You need it. Let me pray because I've been studying this book for 18 months. I have fully prepared to preach it. You guys ready? Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. It's active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, help me preach this word. For those of you that are in the room, God, that are new to church and their butt cheeks are already clenched, God, give them peace that you're a good God, a loving Father, that you didn't give us this book to scare us but to prepare us. I pray, Jesus, that you would fill me with your spirit to preach this with power and authority. And if you believe that, everybody said, everybody said, come on, we just give Jesus a round of applause. Come on. Non-believers love this text. They love to talk about the four henchmen of the apocalypse. Anyone ever heard this cultural reference? Uh, It's used in sports world. If you have a defensive lineman and four of them are huge, they're called the four the horsemen of the defense. Uh, it's even used in culture references to, to talk about the four atheists, the, Sam, Sam Harris, the, the four horsemen of the atheist. It's even used in marriage books that if you have these four things in your marriage called the four killers, the four henchmen of the marriage, and often our culture loves to talk about these four different horses as four different people. But the Bible says these are not four different people, but it's one spirit. Let me show this to you in 1 John 4. It says, this is how you can recognize or discern or identify the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This implies, for those of you that are new, that not only are non-religions that don't talk about Jesus man-made, they're actually demon-made. Because there's only one spirit, and that spirit is the spirit of God that talks about Jesus. And if it doesn't talk about Jesus, that ain't God. That, that God didn't make that. And then he tells us what the, the Antichrist is. This is the spirit, next verse, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming is now already in the world. Notice it says the spirit of the Antichrist, not the person of the Antichrist. We're going to talk about the the person in a moment, but you need to realize in the same way that 2,000 years ago, God entered human history in the person of Jesus. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross for our sins, resurrected three days later. No one in history has done that. Anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? He's not a prophet. He's not a good man. He's not a philosopher. He's God. And 40 days later, he went back to heaven. So even though Jesus is not here in the flesh, his spirit is here. In the same way, even though the Antichrist is not here, his spirit is. He, he's already in the world. He is already deceiving. And there is a real Antichrist. He is a real person. And Christians are obsessed with trying to figure out who this is. They said it was this pope. No, 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 it's that pope. It's this world leader. Some people say it was Obama. I think he's on the Lakers. He wears number six. You missed those jokes. I know you did. But even though we don't know if he's alive right now, the spirit is alive and well, and it is growing in power and authority. Watch how it continues as the Bible talks about him. The man of lawlessness, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. 
so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. You need to know a little bit of background on this guy. He's going to come in in a time of history when there's massive economic chaos, massive global chaos, wars and rumors of wars, and he's going to show up with solutions. And he's say, I know how to fix the supply and demand problem. I know how to fix the problems of inflation. I know how to fix world peace. And he will deliver on that. And he will come into power and he will bring world peace. But it will be short-lived. It will only be peace for three years. And this man will rule what the Bible calls for seven years. And when one man is ruling the world, you know the end is coming. He, he does something no other world leader has ever done. He brings peace to the Middle East. He even brings peace to Israel, which reminds me, church, you should be praying for Israel. In the book of Genesis, it says that God blesses those who bless you and curses those who curse you. He's speaking about Israel. That promise is still there. You and I are actually spiritual Israel. So we should be praying for those that are the God's people. And this ruler, this, this man, will show up with solutions, and he will deliver on the promise of world peace. But it will be short-lived. He will use deception and lies, and after three years of peace, there will be hell on the earth for three and a half years. Anybody think, well, they came to church today. Isn't this the most exciting sermon ever? And after seven years... The Antichrist will declare war on God, and they will fight in this valley. It's called the Valley of Armageddon. It is a real place. There have been battles fought. This is where the final battle will won. And, and Satan will fill the spirit of Antichrist, will fill a person with this spirit, and he promises peace, and he will deliver himself on that promise, and he will do things that no one else has done. He will create one world, one country, one currency, and he will even set up one world religion. And he will declare himself as God and do miracles and demand that if you want to live, if you want to work, if you want to earn money, you must bend your knee to him. And the spirit of the Antichrist, I remember reading about this, I'm like, how in the world is anyone to give this guy control? Because literally what, what the world is doing is they're in chaos, there's economic chaos, there's fear, there's fear of wars, and this man will say, I have the solution, and the whole world will give him power. I'm like, there's no way. Why would we ever give up all that control for peace and safety? And then a pandemic happened. We all gave up control for the promise of safety. Listen, I, I still see, and I'm not shaming anyone, I still see people wearing masks in your car. Who are you trying to protect yourself from? I, I'm not shaming anyone. I'm just saying that's what fear does. Fear makes you give up control for the promise of safety. And this is how the world leader, the Antichrist, comes into power. He will use fear, he will use intimidation, and he will promise solutions to be in power. If he did it once, listen, he will do it again. I think the pandemic was a test run for what really is going to happen. And then it continues. Matt, this is what Jesus is saying. Let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything. Whoa, 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 where am I? Sorry. Let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Next verse. In those, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. If you're new to church, you're probably like, dude, what? And many of you who have walked with God for a long time, even these verses, reading them again, it just brings anxiety and fear. And I want to tell you, God didn't give us these verses to put fear in us. Jesus gave us a vision of, to prepare us, not to scare us. It's on your screen. There is hope. His name is Jesus. And if you are in Christ, no one can touch you. No one can hurt you. You're not only adopted, you will be with him forever. Anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? You don't need to be afraid. It, the world wants to, to control you with fear. God wants to give you a hope that surpasses understanding in the midst of everyone else freaking out. And then watch this. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs. 
and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so the coming of the Son of Man. Next verse says this, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Jesus is literally quoting an Old Testament prophecy right here. And then Matthew 24, verse 30, then, someone say then, will appear the Son of Man in heaven. After all that chaos of seven years and all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to one another. This is referring to the second coming. This is after the seven years, but I need to tell you, before the Antichrist takes power, read this next verse. The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. One more. This, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And probably the number one question I get asked as a pastor, when everyone, anyone wants to talk about the book of Revelations, is this, is this question on the screen. What about the rapture? Anyone ever heard this term before? Okay, let me tell you two things real quick. I'm going to piss some people off. That's okay. You're wrong. This word doesn't, this word doesn't show up in your Bible, by the way. For 2,000 years, no one believed in the rapture. Do you know where this word came from? A 13-year-old girl in Ireland, she was at a revival meeting, and she had a vision that God came and took the Christians and left the non-believers. And the way she described it was people were taken, or a.k.a. raptured. And for 100 years, this weird theology that we would be taken away from the pain and suffering was only in Europe and never in the United States until a great evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody, before Billy Graham, began to preach this doctrine at his school, Moody Institute in Chicago. Then it started being preached at Dallas Theological Seminary. And you just need to know, for 1,800 years, no one believed this. No one believed in the rapture. This is only an American theology thing. And the question is why? You've got to read a book called Bad Religion by Ross. His name is Duthart. And he says, there's something weird about America. We're very entrepreneurial. At the same time, we're very rebellious. We're a land of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're one of the few cultures where self is above community. So when that mentality, me, myself, and I, comes into the kingdom of God, it's not what can I do for you, God. It's God, what are you going to do for me? Which is why the prosperity gospel is so prevalent in America. If I place my faith in Jesus, you're going to make me healthy and wealthy. Rapture is prosperity gospel, but for end times. That if I place my faith in Jesus, I won't suffer like everybody else. I'll be excluded from all these things. You just need to know, for 2,000 years of church history, 1,800 years of it, no one believed this. I just need to warn you. I know there's these books called Left Behind. I just need to share a story. When we first entered this church, these books were everywhere. In almost every room, I took all of them and threw them all away. Just going to put it out there. That upsets you, I'm sorry. Please write me an email. I'm never going to read it. Because God wants you to be strong. A year ago, my wife and I were at a, our neighborhood barbecue. There's a guy in my neighborhood. His name's John. We call him the mayor. He knows every gossip of the neighborhood. He knows what people are doing. Every time there's construction cups, he knows the down low. And he has this big annual barbecue at his house. And so my wife and I go with our kids and one of his friends has this little like, chihuahua dog. This, I think, I don't even know what this is. It's just a small dog. They're super annoying. They just bark and bark, right? And my daughter, being three years old, loves this dog, is playing with it. And then out of nowhere, this dog starts snapping, putting fear in her. And she starts running. And instead of looking where she's going, she's looking behind her, making sure the dog doesn't bite. And she goes straight into the pool. She's wearing a dress. She's not wearing a life vest. And this girl who does not know how to swim is just sinking. Thankfully, a neighbor reaches in and grabs her and pulls her out. And this girl is shaking in fear. Not from the dog, but from the fear of drowning. And from that moment on, she never went in a pool again. Every time we go to a pool or we go to the ocean, she would just get her feet wet. Zoe, come in. No. No. 
So last week, we're, we were at an Airbnb. We're in the pool. My daughter's sitting on the edge. My wife goes to the bathroom. I'm like, I'm solving this. It's what dads do. It's what dads do. So I picked up my daughter. We went to the middle of the pool. She knows what's happening. She's like holding on. Dad! Like shaking in fear. I rip her off me and I just let her go. Now before you think I'm a terrible dad, she has a floaty on. So she's like crying her eyes out. Within two seconds, she realizes she's not going to die. And her tears went to giggling. What scared her brought her joy. She didn't think she had the strength to do it. But because I didn't let her in comfort, because I didn't give her a prosperity gospel, she became stronger because of it. Let me tell you, God is not going to remove you from the pain and suffering of end times. He's going to take you to the middle of the pool and say, your dad's here. I know you're afraid, but I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. And your faith needs this. That's a picture of the rapture, that there's chaos. You think you're going to die. You think you're going to drown. You think it's all over. And God's like, dude, I got this all under control. I win in the end. That's the picture that God wants to give you. The whole book of Revelations is it will be hard, but God says, I won, and I'm going to be with you. Don't be afraid. Amen? Now, let me tell you how this dude comes into power. What's going to happen? I need you to see this because I don't want, I want you to be able to discern the times of what's happening. There are four things that are going to happen before this man comes into power. Y'all ready? Genesis chapter, Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. It says this, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Someone say white horse. Its rider held a bow. A bow is essentially a New Testament language for to cause disruption and chaos. And he was given a crown, which is a, a symbol given to a leader. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Again, there are four horses of the apocalypse, but it's one spirit. And you need to understand, the white horse will bring disruption, deception, and destruction. You're going to hear wars, rumors of wars, chaos. The world is going to be an app, and this man will show up saying, I have the solution. I know how to fix it. You all need to come under one world religion, one world order, one government, and that's how he's going to fix it, and he will. He's going to do something no one else has done, and you need to understand, that's what's going to happen as a precursor for him coming into power. And then watch this, Revelation chapter 6, verse 3, then the, another horse came out, a red, a fiery red one. Someone say red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. It's not going to be safe to walk in the streets anymore. I know right now in urban cities like New York and L.A. and San Francisco, homelessness has exploded. Theft is increasing. And we're all watching from suburbia saying, dude, I'm thankful I don't live there. What this is saying is that problem will be in every city. In every city. And not only will it remove peace to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Because we no longer value life, we no longer will fight for it. Right now in America, there are more kids being trafficked sexually than any other time in American history. When you don't value life in the womb, you don't value life. Road vs. Wade passed a year ago, and that upset a lot of you. I celebrated that life was being saved. Why? Because God fights for the unborn. And he wants to put in your heart, don't fight for them. They're not important. Your career is more important than that child. And what the spirit of the Antichrist has been doing, will continue to do, and will do, is he will make us fight one another. Mother against mother, father against son, daughter against sister, to the point where we don't even value life. And the red horse, listen, will bring fear and violence. The world will not be a safe place when the Antichrist comes into power. And it continues. Revelation 6, verse 5, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Someone say black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales. In that time, they didn't have credit cards and cash. They paid for things using scales. This is about an economy. The black horse will bring economic catastrophe. Let me read the verse because I skipped it. 
uh, was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among four living creatures, saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. What is the black horse? The black horse is economic catastrophe. There will be a supply and demand problem. There will be a day when you go to the store and you think eggs are expensive now. Just wait. You think milk is expensive now. Just wait. And this world leader will come up and goes, I know how to fix it. Look at his solution. Revelations 13. It also forced all people. Someone say all people. Great and small, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads. So they cannot buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. You're going to think this is a tattoo or a chip. It's not. The mark of the beast has happened and will happen again. In the first century when Nero was in power, you couldn't sell or trade or be in business if you were a Christian unless you bowed down to Nero as king. There will come a moment, I'm telling you, where if you are a follower of Jesus, you won't be employed anymore. Because you don't pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. The mark of the beast is not a tattoo. It's a mark that you're not, you don't belong to him. And I'm telling you, it happened once, it's going to happen again. And the new world religion, this, this new economic power, is going to create a, a world where there will be one currency. There won't be this exchange rate anymore. There will be one currency, and he's going to control it all. In Revelation 6, verse 8, this last horse, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Someone say pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, if the world population is 8 billion, one-fourth is 2 billion people. Let's breathe. We're not in tribulation yet. We don't have to freak out. But the pale horse brings disease and death. And at this point, you're like, man, Pastor Allen, I thought the Bible was encouraging. I thought the Bible was only filled with good news. And this is probably the question you're probably asking in your heart is this. Will it ever get better? And just to be honest with you, this is as good as it's ever going to get. As crazy as the world is now, as chaotic as it is, as wars in Russia and Ukraine, as, as high as inflation is, it will get worse. This is why Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16 says, peace I give you. He doesn't just give you positive vibes. He gives you peace in the storm. Peace is a person. His name is Jesus. I wrote like this. There will be storms. He promised us trouble. You will have heartbreak. You are going to go through some things. Life will be challenging. But no, you are not going to be alone. In the same way that I was with my daughter in the pool, God will be with you too. So comparatively speaking, these are the good old days. As bad as it is. And watch what it says next. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is what's going to set up to put him in power. But see that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. These things will happen and then the seven years of him being in power. You need to understand that. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Some of you who struggle with people-pleasing, the seven years of tribulation will be really hard for you because no one will like Christians. No one will like us. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness and the love of most will go crawled, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I remember studying this, reading this about 18 months ago and asking this question, how in the world do we endure these war horses? How do we survive? How do I keep myself together in times of chaos and panic and war? How do I keep my faith in my head and my heart straight when there's disease and famine and plague all around me? When brother against brother, sister against sister, mother against, when the dollar means nothing, when everyone's being deceived, how do I keep myself a Christian? Do you want to know the answer? The Bible tells us, not a zombie apocalypse checklist, an end times checklist. The Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Thessalonians tells us exactly how to survive end times. And he's going to give us four things that you need to do if you want to survive and stand firm to the end. Anyone want to survive the war horses? Amen? Amen. 
And it continues. First Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. He's talking about the end times with a loud command. With the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. These are just verses talking about when Jesus comes back a second time, what's going to happen. Next verse. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. You do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. What does Paul want us to do? Four things you got to do in end times to survive. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. You got to we endure with the covering and connection of our spiritual family. The darker it gets in the world, the more connected you should be to the church. Do you attend bold or are you helping build bold? Hey, listen, I can teach on Sundays, but I'm, I'll only be your teacher. Until you get into a group, until you get on a team, I'm not your pastor, I'm your teacher. And listen, I'm just going to be very honest. There are better teachers on YouTube than me. Don't just come. Get connected. Watch what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12. We, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. He's talking to the family. He's talking to church. I wrote it down like this. A scared and divided world needs a bold and unified church. Fear's coming. Rumors of wars, and the way you survive is not by yourself, but with other people. Anyone here ever work out? Cool. Anyone ever try to do a personal record, a PR by themselves? Anyone try to do that? You're crazy. <laughs> what? You need a spotter. You ever see those, those YouTube reels where the guy's benching, and he stops, and then he looks around hoping someone will come, and the thing comes on his neck, and he's like dying? That's what some of you look like in the faith. The weight of the world, the weight of the fear, the weight of people persecuting will crush your faith. You need, in the same way you need a spotter in the gym, your faith needs a spotter too. To tell you, you're not going to quit. You're not going to quit on your marriage. You're not going to quit on Jesus. Keep, you got one more in you. And if he's smart, he'll push it down your throat and then lift it up. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 25. Oh, that's, oh, that's what I do, by the way. You don't want to work out with me. Hebrews 10, 25, let us not neglect mean together as some are in their habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day. of What's the day? The second coming of Jesus. He's saying, don't just go to church. Be a part of a church. Listen, the world has a, a communication system how it wants to disciple you. It's called the public schools, universities, and the media. Jesus has a distribution system too. It's called his church and the word of God. Some of you are being discipled more by IG than the word of God. And if I don't preach this, listen, no one on Fox or CNN is going to tell you the truth. You need other Christians to survive. You, you, you can't do We're better together. This is why God, when God saved you, he didn't just save you to himself. He brought you part of a family to a family of God. He called you to him. We are in this together. Here's a question I want to ask all of you. My wife and I, we pray for almost all of you every single week. Are you praying for the people that you're sitting next to? Is this a building you enter or a community you do life with? There's an old... African proverb, it says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. That's exactly what the, the Apostle Paul is saying. Do not neglect the second come. When Jesus is coming back, you can't do it alone. You got to do it in community. Number two, we endure 
with intentionality and purpose. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Let me tell you, don't just come to church, go to growth track. Don't just come on Sundays, go to groups. Be a part of the community, but do it with intention and intentionality. And there's going to be times and seasons where you will be pushed away. Oh, no, no, they're telling me not to go to church. They're telling me it's not important anymore. Listen, I wrote like this. It, no, no, it should not matter how the world is behaving. We've got a church to build and we have heaven to fill. Does not matter what CNN says, Fox News says, we got a building and we are never not gathering again. I remember back in 2021, my board and I, we clashed, man. I'm like, we need to regather. People are suffering. And they said, don't do it. Don't. And the only reason we couldn't gather is because I didn't have a building. And now that we have one, we are never not gathering, regardless of what they say. Let me tell you, the church is needed. The church is essential. We, we need the presence and the spirit of God. It's going to get darker and darker. I don't just want to be good at video games. I don't just want to have a big 401k. I want to have a big faith. I want my kids to walk with God. I want a marriage that's growing. You can't do that alone. And you can't do that just casually. Get involved. You want your kids to walk with God? Don't make church optional. Come every week, even when it's inconvenient. Because when your kids see you on your knees praying, they'll think God's important. You are called on mission. My wife and I, we, we made this rule. We spent the first two years of our church at the Hotel Valencia at Santana Row. And literally grew from eight people to 200 in less than two years. It was mind-blowing how fast we were growing. And then we spent two years at 5 o'clock. And I literally wanted to kill myself every, every Sunday after church. Every month, it was like a, a warfare of not wanting to quit, not wanting to throw in the towel. And my wife and I made the decision, we're going to go until Jesus comes back. Till the wheel, until you guys don't ever show up again, I'm going to keep showing up and preaching. Why? Because we want heaven to be full and hell to be empty. What's your calling? What's the greatest thing that you're born to do? Let me tell you, you are called to be fishers of men. You may be an engineer, you may be an accountant, you're still a fisher of men. That's your greatest calling. What you do is your vocation. That's what you get paid to do. But what you were born to do was bring glory to him. The only way you're going to survive is if you live with intentionality and focus. And I remember as I was studying for this, God reminded me that of a story in the Old Testament. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, some of you know this story, some of you don't. A million and a half people were in the wilderness for 40 years. Everyone ever been to the desert before? My wife and I, we just spent a few, a, a day, half a day in Joshua Tree. Oh my gosh, it was hot. Thank God for SPF 30, you know? What do you do when you don't have SPF 30? Imagine, they didn't have AC. That sounds like hell to me. And they didn't spend a day in the, wilderness, in the desert. They spent 40 years. And not only the summer nights unbearable, the winter nights are freezing. So what does God do as a father? The presence of God went with the Israelites in the desert. The presence of God was literally a cloud by day covering them because they didn't have SPF 30. And then at night, he was a pillar of fire, a little portable heater for them. But what most people don't realize, it, he wasn't just protection, a covering for them. Where the cloud went, the crowd went. He gave them direction. Are you following Jesus or are you following CNN? Are you listening to the spirit of God or are you listening to the spirit of the Antichrist? Because one will fill you with fear, want you to abandon the faith, and one will say, I need to build this house. Amen? Yeah. Number three, we endure with patience, love, and kindness. This is the one that's the most countercultural. Anyone ever been on social media and be like, oh my gosh, everyone is so loving today? People are too patient. People are like listening to everyone and listening to their opinion before rebuking them. This is like so, that never happens, right? Never. People are, there's cancel culture all over social media. You say something wrong, we want diversity in classrooms, in the workplace. We don't want diversity of thought. The moment you disagree with the majority, you're canceled. And the way that they do it is so mean-spirited. 
Imagine how attractive Christianity will look when the world is mean-spirited, rude, and you're loving, you're patient, and you're kind. Watch what the Apostle Paul says. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good to each other for everyone else. This verse is talking about end times because he knows that the love of man will grow cold and your love is going to keep increasing. Watch, it continues. Second Peter verse 3. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. First John 4, dear friends, let us love one another. This is right after he talks about the spirit of the God versus the spirit of Antichrist. Look what he says. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, whoever does not love does not know God. We will be known by our love, not by our theology. Because God is love. And the last one, this is Jesus. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who we will be persecuted. And you'll want to unfollow them. You will want to cancel them. You want to pray to get diarrhea. (laughs) Love them. And the question is, what do these verses have to do with end times? Everything. Because as the love of the world is growing colder and colder, your love will shine brighter and brighter. Does that make sense? And the reason why, as Christians, we are called to be loving is because it's not that we love God first. It's that he loved us. We're loving because we first received that love. The reason that they can't give love is because they never, they never received it. You can't give what you never got. When God gave that love to you, it's not just for you. He wants your cup to overflow to them. A world that is filled with fear and has no hope will be reached when Christians are loving when no one else is. Let me speak to the spirit of fear for a moment. You can Google this. The world will end in 2035. This is being pushed by every major news media right now. That global warming will reach a point of breaking point in 2035. Listen, I'm not trying to debate whether the earth is getting hotter or colder. If it's getting hotter and the science says that, it's getting hotter. What I am debating, though, is we're not going to end this earth with global warming. That's fear-mongering. Let me tell you why the Bible says it will end when Jesus says it ends. Let me show it to you. Again, I'm not debating global warming. Recycle. Get an electric car. I'm not debating that. But Genesis 8 says this, as long as the earth endures. Someone says endures. It means as long as the earth is here. And there will come a moment we'll no longer endure. I'm going to show you when that time is. Sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Global warming isn't going to end the earth. God will do that. I get pushed back from Christians all the time. I don't believe that verse. Bro, how can you not believe this verse, but believe that God is the way, the truth, and the life? How can you not place your faith in this one, but you put your faith in all call in the name of the Lord will be saved? You can't pick and choose what you want to believe. It's either all or nothing. The Bible is not a buffet where you go, I want this, I want that. You have to believe it all or you believe nothing. God's in control. Let me show you when the earth will no longer endure. Second Peter verse 3. Do not forget the teaching of the Lord, the one who saves. First of all, I want you to know that in the last days, men will laugh at the truth. When you don't believe that the world will end because of global warming, you will be laughed at. They will follow their own sinful desires. They will say, he promised to come. Where is he? But they want to forget that God spoke and the heavens were made. The heaven we see now and the earth we live on now have been kept by his word. They will be kept until they are destroyed by fire. It does not say it will be destroyed by global warming. They will be kept until the day men stand before God and sinners will be destroyed. Next verse. The sun, moon, and the stars will burn up. The earth and all that is in it will be burned up. Since these things are to be destroyed in this way, you should think about the kind of life you are living. It should be holy and godlike. You should look for the day of God to come. At that time, the heavens will be destroyed by fire. The sun and the moon 
and the stars will melt away with much heat. We're looking for what God has promised. How is that a promise? How is this a good thing? The very next verse is the best verse, which are the new heavens and the new earth. Only what is right and good will be there. Meaning we can't destroy the world, but God will destroy it to make a new heavens and a new earth. You ever go to a neighborhood where they gentrify the neighborhood and they tear the house down? It's still in the same spot, but it's a brand new house. That's what God's going to do to the earth. He's going to remove sickness, death, disease, Laker fans. It will be awesome. No more evil. Look what Jesus says in Revelation. This is him speaking, by the way. He who has seated on, I'm sorry I'm reading so many verses. I haven't preached in a month. Forgive me. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, that's an interesting word, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be co-signed to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. All the evil in the world all the evil that the Antichrist does will all be dealt with once and for all. God will take care of it. Church, we ought to rejoice about that. I wrote like this, your hope can't be in the headline. It must be in his word. Because the news wants to put fear in your heart. This wants to put hope in it. Number four, or oh, this next verse. I love this verse. First Thessalonians 5. Always be joyful. Anyone ever read this verse before? Oh, I'm going to be joyful even when my kids are crazy. I'm going to be joyful even when my marriage is hard. I'm going to be joyful even when my boss is mean. God is speaking this word, speaking about end times. Don't be afraid. You need the covering of a family. You need to live with intentionality and focus, with love, patience, kindness. And the last one is this. We endure with joy, a joy that's supernatural, a joy that we know that God wins, a joy that we know that we've been adopted and forgiven and that we will be with God forever. Very last verse, the last two. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake and they're surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 30. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. My daughter was screaming when I had her in the middle of the, the pool, and the moment she realized she was safe, she had joy. That's what God's talking about. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing of your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. You need a church covering. You need to live with intentionality and focus way we endure with patience, kindness, and love, and a supernatural joy that only God's presence can give. I want everyone to stand and raise your hand as an act of surrender. I want to pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, I trust you. I need you to drive out all the fear and worry and anxiety in my heart from my marriage and my home. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me through and through. Fill me with overflowing of your Holy Spirit. Empower me day by day to live for you. My hope is in you and not in the headline. My hope is in Jesus 
and I will trust in you. I will trust your word. I will trust the leading of your Holy Spirit until the day you bring me home. In Jesus' name, everybody said. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to pray specifically for some of you who have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is God. He's not a prophet. He's not a good man. And he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And everyone who stands before him one day will be found guilty and you will fall short of the glory of God. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Christianity is that God made a way when there was no way. He sent his son Jesus to die in your place for your sins, for your mistakes. You don't have to pay, you don't have to work to get God's love and approval. God sent his son to die in your place for your sin. And the question you may be asking is, well, how do I receive this, Pastor Ali? Simply believe in the work of Jesus on a cross for you. Salvation is not achieved, it's received. And this God, who's a, a million times better father than me, wants to give you peace, wants to provide security. Everything the Antichrist wants to offer, he wants to offer it, but supernaturally. And the way you receive Jesus is by placing your faith in him. He is a person to be known, not a God to be studied. And his spirit, even though he's not here in person, his spirit is. He's the one tugging on your heart, revealing himself to you, telling you that he's real, that he loves you, and that he wants you to come home with every eye closed and every head bowed. If that's you this morning and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. I want to remind you, you're not saying yes to me or this church, but to the living God, Jesus. One, two, three. If that's you, I want you to shoot your hand up. I want to know who I'm praying for. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. Just pray this prayer out loud. Thank you, Jesus. You all can pray and say, thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me, for living a sinless life on my behalf. You fulfilled the law, but you chose to lay your life down for me, for my mistakes, for my sin, for my rebellion. Thank you for paying my penalty. I repent. I turn from my ways and I want to follow you. Be my God and my Father. I receive your free gift of salvation. As much as I understand, I want to follow you all the days of my life. And everybody said, can we give it up for the hands that went up? Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.